right. Well, good morning. Welcome to Journey Church. We're glad you guys are here, man. We get to celebrate, right? Woo! Man, we get to celebrate in song, and that's what you guys just did. Now, some of you guys just getting here, you may have missed that. But the thing is, is we gather as the body of Christ really every Sunday to celebrate. It's the Lord's Day. And so what we do is we come together as a celebration of God's people, celebrating what Christ has done in the week in the past, what he's doing in our lives currently, and what he has in store for us. That's what we do. And so I love this new series we're kicking off called Celebrate. And we're celebrating. You know, celebration is a, a big thing. It's a big deal. You know, we, we celebrate those things that are important to us. We celebrate birthdays. You know, there's, there's people that have a, a child, you know, and they, that baby is born, and there's a big celebration. You know, we celebrate the news that there's a child on the way. We see that happen all around our culture. Now, you know, now you've got to celebrate whenever you reveal what gender the child is. You know, it's crazy all the things we find ways to celebrate. But, you know, like Tony Mess, he turned, he turned 34 today, I think I heard. So uh, today's his birthday. So y'all give it up for Tony. Tony's getting old on us, but he's celebrating his birthday. So we, we find time to celebrate those things. And, and one of the most important things I think that we should celebrate are the things that God does in our life. And like baptism, you know, I love baptism. Baptism is the outward expression of the inward change. It's a celebration. And so we celebrate what God is doing in our life. We celebrate the change that has taken place. And so I always tell families, you know, if you've got a, a loved one that has made a decision, a child or whatever, make a big deal out of that because we'll, we'll do all kinds of stuff to celebrate their birth, their physical birth, but their spiritual birth is eternal. Their spiritual birth is eternal. And so we should do everything we can to celebrate those moments. And so as we start this series, what we want to do is we want to pick out some things and we want to celebrate what God is doing, what God has done, and what He has in store for us. But celebrate the promises of God. Celebrate the hope of God. Celebrate the things that this Christmas season really should be about. And so today we, we choose to celebrate hope. Celebrating hope. Hope is, a, is an important factor. Let me kind of give you a definition. of feeling, A feeling of expectation uh, and desire for a certain thing to happen. So hope is that we hope certain things will happen. We hope that there will be, you know, a change in the weather. We hope certain things. And, but it's more than that. Hope is something that we lean into major things and heavy things. You know, sometimes maybe we hope we get the job or we hope, you know, we get a raise or we hope this or hope that. But the thing is, is there's some things that we put our hope in. Everything hangs on that hope. Everything. And so as we look at this today, hope, it's a feeling or, of expectation and a desire for something or for certain things to happen. And so I want us to look back at, at, a, at a picture of hope that is offered in Scripture. Hope was offered way back in the Old Testament. Throughout the Old Testament, it was continually offered and, and pointed out and prophesied about, if you will, by the uh, prophets of old, they would talk about what would happen, and, and God would reveal through His Word, hey, there's one that's coming. There's one that's going to change everything. His name is Jesus. And so it kept kind of pointing to that, and it was this incredible promise of hope. And so let's look at this first one here, God's promise of hope. It says in Isaiah 9, 6-7, it says, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David. For all eternity, the passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. And, and so I want us to t take a minute there and kind of look at it. This is the promise that God gives us in Scripture. That there's one that's coming that will change everything. 
You know, and so you got to understand the people were were struggling. They were they were in need of direction. They were in need of of of, of right relationship with God because of their sinfulness and their selfishness and their greed. They pulled away from from a holy God. But God said, "Hey, I'll provide a way for man to be made in right standing." We'll go all the way back to the beginning of Genesis. Adam and Eve blew it, man. They chose the things that God said, hey, listen, avoid this. And, and so all of a sudden we see that there's this change and, and God promises a way. And he provides a way. And so there's the promise of hope. So let's look at this passage one more time. Let's kind of slow it down. It says, for a child is born to us. A son is given to us. And so God is speaking in Scripture here and he's talking about us. You know, we, we're, we're in need of a Savior. We were in need of change. We were in need of healing. We were in need of hope. The world is. The world is broken. We, all you have to do is watch a little news and you see that, you know, there's constantly something going on that you go, man, you know, this world is hopeless. And in many ways it is. It's hopeless without Jesus. And, and so we, we see the promise of hope. There's the promise that there's one that's coming. You know, look at this. It says the government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We think of government, and all of a sudden we think of corruption. We think of shady deals. We think of, you know, political jargon back and forth, just attacking one another and trying to win their side of whatever. But whenever the Bible speaks of government, it talks of something powerful. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. That's God's plan. Man always screws everything up. And so here, you know, there's this promise, you know, there's one that it will be just, there will be fairness, there will be, there will be, he will be a wonderful counselor. He gives wise counsel, wise direction. It says he, he will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. This morning as my son and I pulled up, we parked in the back back here and, 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 and I was telling him, I said, hey, you know what? I said, what we get to do here on Sundays has eternal impact. Well, we get to be a part of it. And I hope you guys realize that. We don't just get together for a social gathering, but we get to be a part of something that is eternal, that lasts forever, if you can get your mind around that. And so there's things that are temporal. There's things that kind of happen and go, but this is eternal. This lasts forever. There may be somebody in here today that hear the gospel for the very first time, and with all the faith that they have, they put their faith in who Jesus Christ is, this promised Messiah. They put their faith in Him. They believe that He is the Son of God. And here's the thing. Their name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, never to be erased, and they become a part of something that is eternal. That is the, that is the promise of the gospel. And so every time that we gather and every time that we present the truth of God's Word, and every time we, we have an opportunity to present the good news, the gospel... There's always the hope that someone will hear it and they will respond by faith in Jesus Christ and their life will be changed forever, for eternity. And so when we read this passage, you know, it should give us hope. Knowing God is with us should offer us hope. Knowing that God has provided a way. And I even like the last statement in that, that passage. It says, the passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. That is an exclamation. That is a, hey, listen, this is going to happen. So the passionate, the passionate commitment of the Lord is going to make this happen. The passionate commitment of a holy God who loves you and loves me. He loves us. He wants a relationship with us. And so he is, he is committed to that. We'll make this happen. A young boy was playing softball, baseball in a, in a little league game, and a, and a guy walked up, and he was a little bit late, and he gets there, and he says, he goes, uh, he goes, hey, who's winning? He's standing by the dugout, and the little boy said, 
we're down 18 to nothing. And he looked over at him. He said, are you discouraged? And he goes, no, we hadn't even got up to bat yet. He had hope. You know what I'm saying? He's like, hey, man, listen, they scored 18. We can score 19. You know, I mean, so his whole thing was he had hope. You know, and so we've got we've to be willing to look at life sometimes and go, you know what? There's always hope. And for the believer, we ought to always be able to say, you know what? There's always hope. No matter what you're going through, no matter what your marriage is like, no matter what your family's going through, there's always hope. Jesus is the hope of the world. And so we look at this in Isaiah and we go, all right, that's God's promise of hope. So God promises us hope. And there's, there's prophecy after prophecy after prophecy that we'll see that God has promised and declared that there is hope for the world. So let's look at the provision of hope here. God's provision of hope. We gather at this season, and I know a lot of you guys, maybe it's easy to get caught up in Black Friday. You know, hopefully you just celebrated Thanksgiving with your family. And I don't know how you celebrate it. Maybe you celebrate it by eating a lot. Or maybe you celebrate it by playing a, a game of football out in the front yard. Or maybe, you, you know, you went hunting together. You did something like that. I don't know what your idea of celebration was. But you celebrated Thanksgiving. And you took the time, hopefully, to, to give God thanks for what he's done, what he's provided. And you were thankful for those things. And so you celebrated that. And then all of a sudden here, you know, we move into Christmas. And I know there's always the debate and always the arguments about decorating for Christmas before Thanksgiving and all that kind of junk that goes on. I think people just have, don't have anything else to talk about. But anyway, so the thing is, is we have entered into this season that we call Christmas. That is moving towards the celebration of the birth of the Messiah, of the Savior, of the world, of the hope of the world. And so what I would say is that we should not ever apologize for what we do i told somebody the other day i said i don't do happy holidays i do merry christmas hey jesus is the light of the world he is the only way to to a right relationship with god you know and so to me christmas is about celebrating the birth of christ now here's what we have to battle every one of us in this room have to battle this it becomes commercialism it becomes more about things about black friday and good deals and big tvs and all that kind of stuff and mom and dad let me just say this you have a responsibility to teach your children and to raise your children in what is right not what the world teaches them and here's the thing you can embrace that and you can say you know what i want the best of both worlds but here's the thing the truth has to always ring out and so whenever we get enter into this season it shouldn't be something that and i would just say this it should not be something that for all of us we begin to get anxious or fretting or worrying if anything, in this season, we ought to be celebrating God's love for us. This Christmas season should be a time when we celebrate what God has promised and what he has provided. And so let's read here. It says, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. And all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through the prophet. Look. The virgin will conceive a child, and she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded, and he took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. And so whenever we see that here in this scripture, in this text in Matthew, we see the provision of God's hope. 
the provision of hope. God has provided the promise of hope. Hey, that there will be a, a Savior that is coming. There will be a way to be in right standing with me. There will be one who will literally take away the sin of the world. And in this passage, we see God's provision. God has provided the way, the person, the sacrifice, the lamb, if you will, that will take away the sins of the world. So when we look back into the Old Testament, you know, and a lot of times whenever you hear the word prophecy, it kind of, kind of, can kind of creep you out, but it really shouldn't because you had prophets in the Old Testament and you had teachings that were, that were proclaiming, hey, what was about to come, what was coming, what was headed that way. And so God himself revealed prophecies throughout the Old Testament pointing to the Messiah, pointing to the Savior, pointing to the one who would bring healing, the one who would bring freedom, the one who would bring salvation, the one who would, who would literally change everything for eternity. And so it's pointing towards Christ. So it's not something that we should be afraid of and go, ooh, that word kind of wigs me out. Or, hey, it's kind of like whenever people talk about Revelation, they often get you know, kind of wigged out about Revelation. Revelation tells you in the very first couple of verses, hey, blessed is he who reads this, this word, who reads this book. And so it's important for us to read the word of God. It is important for us to draw from the word of God. And, and so we shouldn't look back and see something and go, you know what, hey, that makes me nervous. If anything, you ought to say, hey, what is it telling me in Scripture? And it's telling you about one that's coming. It's pointing to the person of Jesus Christ. And so here, when we look back into the prophecies and some of the things, some of the ones that come to mind are, she'll be born of a virgin. We just read that, right? He'll be born of a virgin. Jesus will be born of a virgin. The Messiah will be born of a virgin. Be born in Bethlehem. And for a season, he'll be in Egypt. He'll, he'll be in Egypt for a time. We know the story. You know, if you've ever read the story, Jesus, you know, they, they, they fled to Egypt. There'll be, there's, there's testament, there's prophecy after prophecy where different things came through. That he'll have one that will go before him, will be a front runner, John the Baptist. He'll be filled with the spirit of Elijah, John the Baptist. And so he would literally go and he would prepare the way for the Messiah, for the, for the Savior of the world, for the Lamb of God. And so he would go before him. So all those things, you know, happen. And, and so we, we see over and over and over and over these prophecies that are fulfilled. His bones will not be broken. And so Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. He was nailed to a cross, but his bones were not broken. And, and so that's another, you know, we might say, well, that's not a big deal. It doesn't matter. It's, it's what God had spoken and said, that he will destroy the work of the devil, that he will end the reign of sin. All those things were prophetic, and all those things pointed to Christ. And so here's a, here's a cool thing I saw. It says, one person fulfilling eight prophecies, one person fulfilling eight prophecies, just eight of them, and there's hundreds. The, the, you know, it's to that number, one in whatever that number is, if you know what it is. You know, so that's a lot of, lot of zeros right there. And so just eight of them coming together, eight of them lining up would be one in, in whatever that number is. And then look at the next one. If, if, if a person, one person fulfilling 48 prophecies, one chance in 10 to the 157th power. I don't, you know, that's a lot of zeros. And, and so you think, you know, how is this, how is this possible? Because with God, all things are possible, Right. And so whenever we look back and we see that, you know what, God said, hey, listen, this is what it will take. And the, all of this will line up. So God's word always lines up. And so here, one person fulfilling 300 plus prophecies, only Jesus. Only Jesus Christ. How does that happen? Because God had a plan. And God wanted a relationship with you. And God wanted to offer to the world hope. Because the world was hopeless. You might say, well, you know, hopeless is a dark place to be. But let me tell you, that hopeless is one of the places we've got to be at some point. Let me kind of explain what I mean there. 
It says, until we are hopeless, we will not turn to the hope of the world. Until we are hopeless, we will not turn to the hope of the world. See, there are many of us in this room, and some of you guys may you know, wrestle with this mentality, but I know for me, growing up, I kind of wrestle with, hey, well, did I have what it took to be right with God? I grew up in church. I learned a lot of scriptures. I, you know, I went to a lot of services, but I wasn't super actively involved, and I wasn't a believer. You know, I, I, I believe that Jesus died on the cross. Don't get me wrong. I believe that. I believe that he was resurrected. I believe that, but I didn't put my faith in him. I didn't surrender my life to him. It, it was, wasn't anything that changed me. It's just some knowledge I had up here in my head. And I can remember, you know, hearing that, you know, most of my life and kind of believing the story and believing a little bit of it, but it didn't affect me or change me. It didn't seem. Until one night, you know, I was dating a girl when she invited me to go to church. And it was actually a Sunday morning. So we went to Sunday morning, and this guy gets up and he speaks. And I liked the way the guy talked. I mean, it was kind of in your face. And I was like, you know what, dude, I, I like this guy. And so we came back that night. We, we came back for the Sunday evening service. That was not common. It was almost like, kind of like you went in Sunday to kind of do your appearance, you know. And it was kind of another opportunity to have a date without getting in trouble with the parents. And so you went on Sunday morning, so, so, so we're going out. You know, we're going back Sunday night, so we go back Sunday night. And the guy is challenging, he's teaching, he's presenting the gospel. And then the next night, we go back the next night. So this is three services in a row that I've gone to. You know, they were doing a revival, and I'm, I'm listening. And the more that I weigh this out, I'm thinking, man, I want to go to heaven. I, 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 want to, I want to be saved. I want to be born again. And I can remember negotiating and kind of talking through that and going, well, I'm, not, I'm not that bad of a guy. I mean, I haven't killed anybody. You know, I haven't done this. But I would also think about how much sin I had committed because the guy would say, if you've committed one sin, if you've told one lie, you, you are, you are sin, you're, you're sinful. You have committed a sin. You have broken God's, God's uh, perfect plan. And so here's the thing is, because of your sin, you're separated from a holy God. We've all fallen short. We've all failed. And I can remember thinking, well, I've definitely sinned. I've definitely lied. I've definitely stole things. And I realized, you know what? I'm a sinner. I'm in need of a Savior. And I remember him, you know, on the next night. So I go to the, the Tuesday night, and I remember sitting there and him sharing about how Mobile was a port city. You know, and if, if Russia decides to send a, a missile this way, where would you spend eternity? And all of a sudden, I begin to wrestle with, man, I don't know. I don't know where I'd go. I don't know if I'd go to hell because I have done things wrong, but I don't know if I'd go to heaven because I'm not that bad of a guy. You know, and, and so I began to wrestle with that. And he goes, if you were standing before God and he asked you, why should I let you into my heaven? He goes, what would you say? And I remember thinking, I don't know. Now, I'll just tell you this. For, for the first time in my life, I felt hopeless because I didn't know. I didn't even know how to get in. I, want, I wanted to go to heaven. I wanted to be saved. You know, and for the, really for the first time in my life, I really wanted this. But I didn't know how to be, and I felt hopeless. I felt helpless. And as I wrestled with that, I kept thinking, well, maybe I'll just start going to church more. And he, this guy would just kind of shoot that down. He said, it's not about being religious. He said, it's about a relationship with the Holy God. He said, it's about receiving the gift that he has already offered. And so as I wrestled with it, and I continued to wrestle with it, I'm standing there, and I I, I was sitting over on this side of the room, and I can remember making a deal with God. And I was like, God, man, I want to be saved. I want to give you my life. And I went to a church where you, you had to come down to the front and get saved, they thought, anyway. And so I can remember sitting there, and I can remember thinking, you know, God, I want, I want to give you my life. I want to be saved. 
But I'm not walking down there in front of all those people because they always turn them around and make them face everybody and then introduce you and all that stuff. And my biggest fear in life was getting up in front of people. I'm like, God, I, I can't do that. And I can remember negotiating with God and said, God, if you'll just get me to the front, I'll give you my life. And I don't really remember walking the aisle, but I remember coming down to the front and the pastor saying, son, what are you coming forward for? And I said, sir, I, I said, I just know I need Jesus. And I got down and I prayed a simple prayer, same prayer I lead you guys through at the end of every service. But here's the thing, that prayer and that surrender changed my life forever. It's never been the same. I've never gotten over it. And so the thing is, is whenever I experienced that moment, what I did was I, by faith, put my faith in what Christ had already done, and I received salvation. I didn't earn it. You know, and, and it, it's not like I was like, well, I, now I've got to do these things to get there. I received the gift of salvation. And, and so when I look back and I realize, you know what? It's until, it wasn't until I was hopeless and I realized, you know what, I didn't have anything to bring to the table. There was nothing that I could say, God, this is why you should let me in. God, this is why you should save me. I had nothing. I mean, I literally was hopeless. I was helpless. I said, God, I don't have anything. He said, you don't have to have anything. He said, I have paid for your salvation. All you have to do is receive the gift of salvation. And so, man, I, I accepted Christ that night. Let me tell you, there was a celebration that took place within my soul. I tell people all the time, I can't put into words how I felt that night, but I felt like that literally that God had literally washed me from the inside out. I felt clean. I felt like I was in right standing with a holy God for the first time in my life at 19 years of age. And, and so for me, when I, when I look towards Christmas, the birth of a Savior... The Messiah, man, I, I get excited about celebrating Christmas for what it is. Not for what commercialism says it is, but for what the Bible says it is. And so we all, as believers, should go, you know, God, you have provided the way. You, 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 you went against every mathematical equation to prove that you love us. You want a relationship with us. That ought to give us hope. And so look at this next statement here. It says God's testimony of hope. God's testimony of hope. So God's promise of hope, God's provision of hope, and God's testimony of hope. So I want you to read with me here. It says, faith in the Son of God. It says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his children, too. And we know we love God's children if we love God and obey his commandments. Loving God means keeping his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. In other words, they're not heavy. For every child of God defeats this evil world and, will, and, and we achieve this victory through what? Our faith. It's not through works, not through religion. It's not through anything else. It's our, our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? That's a question. Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. So the Bible asks you a question that gives you the answer. How do we defeat this evil world that we live in? So, so, so many of us live in fear of this world. We should not live in fear of this world. We should realize, you know what, God has put us in this world to be a light in this world, to be a light in the darkness. And if anybody ought to have hope, it ought to be the believers, the followers of Christ, that we don't walk around like chicken little. But if anything, we go, God has sent a, a Messiah. He has sent the Savior of the world. And he's living in me. And man, let me share with you the hope that I have. We should always be prepared to share the hope that we have. And Jesus Christ was revealed as God's Son by his baptism in water. And by shedding his blood on the cross, not by water only, but by water and blood. And the Spirit, who is truth, confirms it with his testimony. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit confirms his testimony. So we have these three witnesses, these three witnesses, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. 
And all three agree, since we believe human testimony, surely we can believe the greater testimony that comes from God. Think about that for a second. We'll put somebody in jail. We'll execute somebody based on the testimony of one person. But here's the thing. God is saying, hey, listen, the only way to a right relationship with me is through the person of Jesus Christ. But yet we will, we will entertain other options. And so if we're going to make decisions based on one human's testimony, why not put everything we've got in God's testimony? It says, and God has testified about his son. All who believe in the Son of God know in their hearts that this testimony is true. Those who don't believe this are actually calling God a liar because they don't believe what God has testified about His Son. And this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. If I have written this, I have written this to you, who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. You may know you have eternal life. I can remember through the years asking people, you know, I'd be witnessing to someone or sharing with someone, and I'd say, Man, have you ever come to that point of putting your faith in Christ for salvation? And they'd often say, well, Mike, I was raised in a church. And I was like, that's not what I ask you. You know, there's a lot of people that are raised in church. I know people that have been here nine months before they ever were born. You know what I'm saying? I mean, they've been here their whole life. And, and, and so oftentimes they'll say, well, you know, I was raised in church, you know, and, you know, I, I, I grew up going to church. And, and so what does that have to do with anything other than that you were religious or either, you, you know, you just got drugged there. But here's the thing is there comes a point where we have to have that being born again. Jesus talking to Nicodemus, you know, he's telling Nicodemus, he said, you must be born again. And Nicodemus is like, wait a minute. Are you telling me a man's got to go back into his mother's womb a second time and be born? That's really messed up. Jesus like, no. He said, I'm talking about spiritual things, spiritual birth, spiritual birthday. And so whenever that person puts their faith in Christ, they are born again. They are made new. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And so whenever we put our faith in Christ, we're putting our faith in what Christ has done. We're putting our faith in the promises of God. We're putting our faith in the prophecies of God. We're putting our faith in the word of God. And we're putting our faith in him, not in us. We are broken, and in, in reality, we are hopeless. But He, Jesus, is the hope of the world. And so we have the promises of God. We have the provision of God and the testimony of God. And if God is speaking to us, and He's telling you what it takes to be saved, why do we always look for something else? I remember one day watching Oprah Winfrey. There was a, there was a guest speaker on there, or maybe it was a, a Christian artist or something like that. So I wanted to see, you know, what they had to say. And anyway, so, uh, so anyway, they're, they're kind of, she's interviewing them. They're answering a few questions. And, and anyway, she, Oprah makes a statement. They shared the gospel pretty much. They said, you know, it's only through the person of Christ that we're saved. And she goes, well, you know, I don't believe that. She said, I believe that all roads lead to heaven. There's all kinds of paths that get to heaven. And she, you know, so in other words, she was a universalist. And so a universalist believes that, you know what, there's all kinds of ways you can be whatever you want to be. You can be Muslim, you can be whatever, you know, and whatever your path is, whatever you like, then that will all lead to heaven and all get you to God. And so here's the thing, what she did was she called God a liar. She calls him a liar. A lot of women embraced her teaching, embraced her mentality, and they began to think, well, there must be all kinds of roads to heaven because here's Oprah who is influential, who she believes there's all kinds of roads to heaven. But what God says is that she was lying to everyone. And that's the perfect, that's, that's the perfect truth of, of God's word, calling out the lies of the evil one. 
And so there's some of you in this room who think, well, you know, man, you know, I, I, would, I would love to know that, you know what, that God had provided a lot of different ways for people to get there, but he didn't. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. Most exclusive statement in history. He said, there's only one way. So for many of us, we, we have a tough time with that. We, maybe we wrestle with it. We go, you know, but God, why would you not provide more ways? And he said, hey, listen, this is what I would always just say. He's God. We're not. He's, he, we're his creation. He is the creator. He makes the rules. But he is just. We go back and we read the passage we read in the beginning. He is fair. He is just. And his rule lasts forever. And so there's a statement here that says, if we have never felt hopeless, we have never turned to Christ for salvation. If you've never felt hopeless to the point that, you know what, you need a Savior, you've never probably been saved. That may rattle your cage a little bit, but here's the thing is, if you've never felt hopeless, if you've never felt like, you know what, I don't have enough to bring to the table, I don't, I, I'm not good enough, I, I, I don't have anything to earn my salvation, you know what, that's a great place to be. But whenever we get to that point of hopeless and realize, you know what, I need the hope of the world, I need Jesus, that's the best place to be. And so whenever we get to that point, we realize, you know what? No hope at one point in my life is what turns me to the hope of the world. I, you know, I, I read something this past week. It said, you know, a lot of people, in, especially in America, we don't understand what it means to be hopeless. You know, our idea of hopeless is, hey, you know, I can't get phone signal. You know, I, I can't, you know, this thing's taking like 10, 10 seconds to download, you know, and, and we feel hopeless. But here's the thing. If you want to see someone who is hopeless, then you go to some of these third world countries where, where people are starving to death. You know, where someone is, is just trying to live. Now, now, they're living without hope. And here we have so much stuff, and, and, and we think, hey, well, you know, I'm good. And so whenever we get to the point where we don't have things, and all of a sudden there's a different value put on those things. There's some of you in this room that, you know, you feel like, you know what, my family's hopeless. My family's falling apart. My family is just literally is collapsing all around me, and you feel hopeless. Here's the thing, that can be a good place to be because you turn to the hope of the world. There are marriages in this room that you feel like, hey, you know what, we're on the rocks. I mean, we're struggling. And, and maybe you feel like you beat each other on the rocks. You know, you walk by each other, there's a tension in the room. You know, you're living together, but you're not living as one. And you're, you're constantly pushing each other's buttons, and there's all this tension, there's this anger. And it's like a bomb waiting to go off. Just the right word, the right comment, or, or the right look. And all of a sudden, you just explode or vomit all over each other. And you think, man, there's no hope. There is hope. There is hope. And the hope is Jesus. In our marriages, too often what we do is we, we forget that we made a promise. See, God made a promise. He promised the Messiah. God delivers on His promise. And so whenever we do our wedding vows, what we do is we stand before a holy God. We look to a holy God. We look to a, our spouse who we feel like this is who I want to spend the rest of my life with. And what we do is we make promises to them. And we make promises to Him. I'll be there in good times and in bad, in sickness and in health. I'll be there through it all. I'll serve. I'll forgive. I'll do whatever it takes for our marriage to be best. And I will put you in the right priority. And then life happens and what we do is we don't honor our promise, but I promise you God does. And so for many of us in this room, we've lost all hope in our marriage because our focus is not on our marriage. It's on us. It's not, it's not on Jesus. It's not putting our hope into Christ. It's winning the battle. Too often we, we want to win the argument. We want to be right. We want to be right. We want to win this argument. Why not win your spouse's heart? Why not win your marriage? Why not win your family? Why not win in such a way that you say, you know what? I'm putting my hope in Christ and Jesus. I want you to teach me. 
how to love you and how to honor you. And here's the thing is whenever we begin to love God and we love his commandments, it goes back to the scripture we read earlier, we love his children. And his children may be your spouse or, or your children or your aunt or your uncle or whatever that family member may be. And so if we really love God, we love his word, we love his commandments, and here's the thing, we love people. So if we have never felt hopeless and we have never turned to Christ for salvation, if you've never made that decision, you're on the outside looking in. And I often tell Christians, sometimes I think we forget what it was like to be on the outside looking in. See, I can remember being that 19-year-old kid. Man, I wanted to be saved. I wanted to know without a shadow of a doubt that I, was, I belonged to God. I wanted to know if I breathed my last breath. I'd see him face to face. And too often we go through life wondering and hoping. And John, First John right here says, I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. It's not something we go through life just wondering and hoping. But we should know. And here's what I would tell you. There is no plan B. If you think, well, you know, hey, if I miss Jesus, maybe there's another chance. Oprah was wrong. You're wrong too. So here's what I would say. There is no plan B. It's so easy for us to think, well, you know, maybe there's another way. There's another option. Maybe if I, maybe if I give enough money to the poor, maybe if I help the widows and the orphans, maybe if I do a few good deeds, maybe that will qualify me. Our greatest deeds are filthy rags, according to Scripture. Look at what it says in John 3.16. Most of you guys know this verse in a, in a couple of verses following. It says, For this is how God loved the world. He gave His one and only Son. So that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. You want eternal life? It's only through the person of Christ. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. How do we miss that? How do we miss that in this culture? How do we miss it that God wants a relationship with us? How do we miss it and think that God is just sitting up on his, his cosmic throne just blasting us away because he's judgmental? He is a loving, forgiving, righteous father. He wants a relationship with us. So he gives his only son. He lets his son go to the cross to be pierced for our transgressions, to, to literally bleed out his blood and die, breathe his last. And then power of God is able to resurrect him. But there is no plan B. It says there is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. See, Jesus didn't come just to make our lives better. I think sometimes we think, well, yeah, I'm just going to put a little Jesus on this. Uh, I'm going to sprinkle a little Jesus on my, my life here. But he didn't come just to make your life better. He came to give hope to your life. He came to change your life. He came to transform your life. We talk about it often as a staff. You know, it's not, it's not about me getting better at w doing what I do. It's about letting the gospel transform me. The gospel is transformational. There's incredible power in the, in the good news of Christ. And when Christ comes into someone's life, all of a sudden we, we, we realize our brokenness and our need for God to literally change us. And in our hopelessness and our helplessness, we realize, you know what? He is my hope. He is my redeemer. He is my savior. He is my healer. He is the one who frees me. And, and so no matter what you're going through, Jesus is our hope. There's a couple of next steps here. It says next steps for me today. Lean into the promises of God and his faithfulness. Lean, in, lean into the promises of God. What are those promises? I will never leave you nor forsake you. 
The Bible tells us that if we put our faith in Christ, that he literally will, will place the Holy Spirit within us. And the Spirit of the Holy God, of a Holy God, will be living within us. And we will be sealed with that Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. In other words, he never leaves us. He is right there no matter what we're going through. Maybe you're going through physical challenges. Maybe there's some, some physical things that are going on. Maybe you're get, you've gotten bad news. Maybe you've gotten a bad report. And you think, man, there's no hope. There is hope. Jesus is the hope of the world. He still performs miracles. It is still up to Him. Our life is based on, God, what do you desire? What do you want? And so, God, we, we come before you with our request, but, God, we want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so, God, we desire your will. We desire your plans. We desire your purpose to prevail. So when we surrender our life, we've surrendered everything. And so we ask God, God, will you heal me? And here's the thing. Ultimately, if we have put our faith in Christ, when we breathe our last in this body right here, we are ultimately healed. There's no more tears. There's no more suffering. There's no more pain. And so we have to get our mind around that. Hey, one day I will be healed. But God, what do you want to do here? And God, why are you taking me through this? Is it so that I can minister to the nurses that I'm around? Is it so that I can minister to the families that are around? God, what do you want me to do? I am yours. I submit to you. Maybe you're going through financial struggles. Some of that may be because of poor decisions that you've made. But you know what? God wants to teach you how to be set free from the bondage of financial, financial strain. And so here's the thing. Line up with his word. Live according to his pattern that he's given us. He's blessed you with so much. You know, but here's the thing. Maybe you haven't managed it well. He'll forgive you. And he'll teach you how to line up and honor him with your finances. Maybe again, like I said, it's your marriage. Lean into the promises of God. He promises that He will be there. He promises that He will forgive. He promises that He will change you. Second one there. Celebrate the birth of our hope. Maybe for every believer in this room, this is something we all ought to embrace. It's easy to kind of get into the Christmas season and, and kind of lose sight of what's really important. We get caught up in other things. We get caught up in temporal things. We get caught up in things that really don't matter in the grand scheme of things. And so here's the thing. We have an opportunity here at the Christmas season to go, you know what? I'm going to take every moment that I can, and I'm going to point my family towards Christ, the promised one, the Messiah, and his birth. I won't take it. Mom and dad, maybe you say, you know what? I'm going to do everything I can to try to teach my children this is the reason for Christmas. And we look for ways to celebrate that. And we celebrate the birth of Christ every chance we can. And for those of us that are believers that we've already put our faith in Christ, we share the hope that we have with those who have no hope. I, thought, I was thinking about it this morning. There was a missionary family living over in Africa. And the mom and dad, you know, they were wanting their, their children to understand that really Christmas, what it's about is the birth of Christ. And, and one of the kids said, hey, mom, dad, can we, can we make a birthday cake for Jesus? And she was like, yeah, I guess we can. We'll make a birthday cake and we'll celebrate the birth of Christ. And so they get in there, and it's on Christmas Eve, and anyway, they get in there, and they put some candles on it, and she lights this candle, and, and they, they have a word of prayer, and they're celebrating, you know, what God has done in their life, the ministry that God has given them there in Africa, and then all of a sudden, one of the kids said, Mom, who's going to blow out the candle? And she's like, I didn't think about that. And so she said, she's sitting there thinking, and she's just like, I didn't think about that. And a breeze comes through the window, blows it out. And the kids were like, "Woo! Jesus blew it out. You know, and, I, and I, she's going, I don't know who blew it out, but I'm just saying thank you, God, for taking care of that. But here's, here's what, she was teaching them that Christmas 
is about Christ. And I think for every believer in the room, we need to be reminded on a regular basis that Christmas is about celebrating the birth of the Savior of the world. Christmas is only a proclamation, if you will, of the hope of the world. And we ought to live in such a way that Christmas is not something that we get burdened down by, but we get excited about it. We get excited about celebrating the birth of our Savior. We get excited about celebrating the hope that is broadcast all over the the sky to the shepherds. We get excited about that. And then this last one. Maybe for you, you realize your need for a Savior. For me, I was 19 years old when I realized my need for a Savior. I needed to be changed. I needed to be saved. I needed to be cleansed. I needed to be redeemed. And man, the one thing I would say to anybody in this room, if you've never put your faith in Christ, realize you need Christ. You need to be redeemed. You need to be born again. You need a Savior. You don't have what it takes to get in on your own. Let me ask you just to bow your heads and close your eyes. I feel like there's there's some people here in the room maybe today have realized they've never put their faith in Christ. They want to be saved. They want to know the peace that passes understanding. But they've never surrendered their life to Christ. They've never put their faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. They've been trying to know the past. So I want, to, I want to give you an opportunity just to to respond. We do this every week. But you know, like last, last Sunday, we had five people that put their faith in Christ for salvation for the first time. We celebrate that. And maybe you're here today and you've never put your faith in Christ. I want to give you an opportunity. You don't have to walk an aisle like I did. I won't turn you around and face you in front of everybody. But right where you're at, with all the faith that you have, I want to walk you through a simple prayer that is the prayer of your heart. But here's the thing. It's not just the words on your lip. It's the words of your heart, and it's the surrender of your life to Him. So right where you're at, I just want to walk you through this. Just say, Jesus, I confess you that I'm a sinner. Jesus, I have sinned. You know that. And I want to ask you, Jesus, will you forgive me? His answer is yes. Jesus would tell you, I, have, I went to the cross to pay for those sins. They're covered. Say, Jesus, I want to quit living the way I've been living because I haven't been living in a way that honors you. I want to turn to you. That's repentance. And if we will turn and follow him, the blood of Christ will cover our sins. I said, Jesus, will you teach me how to live for you? I want to learn from you. I want to be your disciple. I want to be a follower of Christ. And so, Jesus, with all the faith that I have, I confess my sin, I repent, I turn to you, and I give you my life. I give you everything. I give you everything. Jesus, will you save me? And I'm just telling you, his answer is yes. You can base that on the promises of God that we've already read today. You can base it on the provision of God that we've already read today and on the testimony of God today. And I think if you, if you think like I do, I can trust the testimony of God. I can trust the word of God and the promises of God. And so if you just prayed that prayer, if you just asked Christ to come into your heart, if you don't mind, will you, will you raise your hand 
And just let me know. Say, Mike, I just prayed that prayer. Anybody in the room? I see a hand right here. Amen. I see a hand back here. Anybody else? Anybody else? Man, I just prayed that prayer. There's two that just raised their hand. They just received the hope of the world. They just received Jesus Christ for salvation. Their name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life. The greatest gift you'll ever receive, you've received today. Christmas will be different for these two. Christmas will be different from this point forward. Because they've gone from death unto life. And as Jesus promises, you'll never, He'll never leave you and forsake you. There's lots of believers in this room that we never share the hope that we have. Man, I just want to encourage you and challenge you. Share Christ with those who don't know Him. There are many that are around us just like these two that have never put their faith in Christ. But you are the messenger that God has put in those people's lives. Share the hope that you have. Father, I thank you for these two that have put their faith in you. God, give them courage to walk boldly. God, give them the courage to tell someone what they've done today. I pray that they'd indicate it on a card so that we can walk with them as a church. Father, we can pray with them. We can put a Bible in their hand. And so, God, I thank you that you love us enough that you would send your son to die for us. And then you offer to us freedom, healing, redemption. God, thank you for the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. God, let us live in a way this week, Lord Father, that we share the hope that we have everywhere we go. And God, help us to not be ashamed of this hope. And realize this world is broken and in need of a Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.